Be Frank Network. Welcome back to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host. This week on Friends, we're getting ready for the new year with these great friends. Rachel Feinstein is back. It's been too long. She's one of my best friends in comedy. She has three Comedy Central specials, including her one-hour special, Only Horse Wear Purple. Rachel has also been seen on the Amazon series Red Oaks, HBO's Comedy Crashing, The Nightly Show with Larry Wilmore, HBO's Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, and several appearances on Inside Amy Schumer. And if you're a gamer like me, you'll recognize her voice in the phenomenally successful Grand Theft Auto video game franchise. Pat Brown is back. Yeah, she's here. She's been seen on CBS's Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Fuses Uproarious, NBC's Comic Unleashed, BET's Comic View, and check out her critically acclaimed album, The Pat Brown Sex Tape. You can also check out her set on Two Dope Queens on HBO. Von DiCarlo is also back. She is a New York-based stand-up comedian, producer, and author of the book Speak Fluent Man. She's been featured comedian on True TV's Laugh Mob, Laugh Tracks, and The Jerry O Show on Fox. You can listen to her podcast. It's called The Coach Von Podcast, as well as her Grown AF Podcast. You get a dose of some uncensored truth with lots of giggles. We are now a part of the Be Frank Network. You like that incredible new sound? You do. Well, to be frank, that's the Be Frank Network. I want to thank all of our listeners of Friends Like Us because of you who make some pretty impressive lists like Oprah Magazine rating us as a podcast that every woman should hear. We thank everyone, of course. You can hear us on Google Podcasts Now, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Rate us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. You can email us at friendslikeuspodcast at gmail. Our Instagram is friendslikeuspodcast, and Twitter is friendslikeustin. Leave us a tip or donation. Just go to our Patreon page. Were you able to check out our live streams over the holidays? It's okay, because it's still available on our Patreon page. Go to Patreon backslash friends like us and don't forget we now have t-shirts face masks and coffee mugs with the new logo on it so you can represent your favorite podcast and with friends like us it'll help you feel not so alone because more content is on the way most important tell someone you know to check us out wash those dirty little hands wear a mask and have a happy new year Welcome to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host here today with Pat Shonuff Brown, which is what she's put there, uh, and Pete Brennan, which is really Rachel Feinstein, now <laughs> Rachel Brennan, and Von DiCarlo, everyone. Woo-hoo-hoo! Woo-hoo! All right. It's time to get puss nasty. <laughs> Excuse me. No, no, no. Now you can do whatever you want. We have all. Wait a second. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Where's that baby? Baby's in the room with Pete. And at a certain point, if the baby makes too much noise, I'm just going to close that door because I told him to close it, but I don't know if he did. Can you bring her? Want to say hi? I do want to say hi to the baby. Those listeners who didn't know Rachel, who's been on the show several times, is introducing us to her beautiful. Oh. Oh. Is, that a, is that a biggie? Uh, oh, yeah, a she's bear? got a biggie pimp on. Yeah. <laughs> That's adorable. Rachel, can I take a picture? Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Oh. Oh, my 
God, what adorable! Yeah, yeah, she's very, she's very comic friendly. You can sell it on the dark web. Oh. <laughs> Hi, it's your TT Rena. Hi, pudding pie. <laughs> Little pudding pie, you know TT Rena. She can't hear. Guess me. who got her this biggie bit? Who? Karen. Which Karen? My mom. You asked about my mom. Oh, uh, that's nice. My mom sent her one. Yeah, it's funny because she got, she got two biggie bibs, one from Amy and one from my mother. Any thoughts? <laughs> Just representing Brooklyn. That's what <laughs> that is. <laughs> say hi to T.C. Rini and everybody all right I'll give her back now so we can oh, save the okay well, she's so sweet she's just a little G she's just a little G a little G uh, repping Brooklyn she loves looking at that screen okay how old is she Rachel she's six months so the listeners who may not know this Rachel had a baby <laughs> during the <laughs> pandemic tell us Rachel how are you doing with everything I mean it was a lot for sure having a baby during the pandemic you were very kind to me during all that because it was uh things got a little jacked up a little dicey but and there's some weird perks about it too because there's no fear of missing out (laughs) right yeah there's no unwanted you could just say sorry we're trying not to kill her like it's very easy to (laughs) just lay around if you need to but uh it was yeah it was a weird time especially having uh, my husband in the FDNY, I still feel like such a fraud when I say husband. I'm like, who are you to have a husband? You're a pig. <laughs> you like when I say husband, I'm like, shut up. I, I can't take away someone's screen time. I'm I'm a disgusting fool. I, I think that's tied to almost like uh, our, our kind of archaic belief that uh, getting married is an honor as as opposed to finding somebody that you connect with, which is a blessing. Yeah, I think you're right. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And also, I think when I was, I was really nervous about being a mother, because I was like, afraid, well, I was afraid, like, uh, what if I don't connect to her? That was one of my fears. And I'm like, because, because I overshare. And I'm like, I'll just start telling people. I'll be, and I'll, I'll be like at a barbecue and somebody be like, oh, she's cute. And I'm like, isn't that weird that I don't love her? Like, I was like, I'll tell people. <laughs> that was my worst fear. <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious. But I did, thank God, I, I think also because we were quarantined, I didn't have that. I felt right away, but which I guess makes me a hero too, like my husband. <laughs> but, uh, but I love my own daughter. <laughs> You're a hero. <laughs> I was afraid. I hit it. Like when I became pregnant, I Googled the same things like Catholic teenagers Google. I was like, and I remember I went to Filene's basement. I'm not name dropping, but I was trying to look for like some kind of smock-like Paula Poundstone blazer that could cover my pregnancy. And I asked the girl in Filene's basement to help me. And she goes, oh, you're trying to ride it out? And I was like, is there a term for that? She's like, yes, ride it out. <laughs> She's like, I'm riding it out. I never knew that was a term. She's like, yeah, you're just trying to ride it out. I get it. <laughs> and I guess that means just hiding it. Well, I've never heard that term before. Right, Riding out. But Rachel, for, for everyone who doesn't know, Rachel would go on stage when she was pregnant, right before she'd go on, can you see the bump? Can you see it? <laughs> and remember, Nikki said to you, after you actually had the baby, Nikki goes, are you going to tell people at this point, <laughs> Rachel? She was like keeping it a secret for a pretty long time. I mean, do you feel like this was in a way sort of a better way to have a baby where you could actually have an excuse to stay home? Yes, but I don't want to say like, oh, if millions of people had to die for me to be able to ride it out, that doesn't feel right. But I, I'm not going to commit to that statement. Not millions, But thousands. if you had to like work and stuff, 
do you feel like you were able to at least relax or no? It definitely helped because, you know, everybody was doing the same thing that we were doing. And so it definitely helped. And it helped, I think, like me connect to her more in, in the beginning. And and uh, I think also because I, I had so many fears about being a mom because I would just read what people put on Instagram and I didn't relate to to them, you know, that I was like, what if I don't fit in? What That I think... I almost feel like you have, sometimes you have a bigger crash when you build it up. I thought about all the other stuff, like, you know, the fatigue and like the fear and all that. So then when I became, I was like, oh, there's all these fun parts. There's all these like happy surprises that didn't occur to me as much. I was just like, how am I going to be able to do it? I'm teaming with ADD. She's going to eat my Adderall. It's going to fall on the floor. You know. <laughs> but then like, so I feel like it was kind of, it was kind of refreshing. I don't know. I mean, I relate to comic moms also a lot so it's helped me to talk to comics I don't know if you feel like that fun um well you know what my daughter's an adult now so I I'm like do, do I get, get to still keep the mom status when your kid is 21 yeah yes you deserve it more than me you've done it longer you raised an actual adult that's huge yeah, but you know what you never stop feeling the the feelings of anxiety that you have right now I'll just let you know it ain't never going away I have the same exact anxiety now only it's worse because she's like making decisions for herself <laughs> instead of me doing it not that I was great at it but you there's that sense of control that you have for this little person that you love so much and then around the age like puberty age when they start making their really start having their own personality and making their own decisions it's like oh my god you can see them about to make good decisions and bad decisions you want to stop it and sometimes you can't. They just have to learn. It's stressful. It's the anxiety. Of it's so scary. I have a question, probably for you both. But uh, Rachel, so you didn't tell people that uh, you were pregnant while you were doing comedy. I'm assuming that's by design. Did you not want it to bring it up or because you'd have to address a whole big thing? And Vaughn, were you pregnant while you were a comic? When I first came into the city in early 2000s. The very first audition I went on, my daughter was maybe Rachel's baby's age at the time. Six like barely, barely one. And it was for a reality TV show, Contagion Island. I don't know if you remember that. But um, I booked it and I was like, there's two parts. It's like, well, one, I'm a mother, so I want to keep this very separate. I don't want to be talking about whatever I'm doing in the entertainment business. Right. School and soccer mom type stuff. So you want to keep it separate. But also I had that anxiety of, I think, and maybe this is one of the things Rachel's was feeling. I didn't want people to think I was unavailable for any type of gigs. Because sometimes people go, oh, she's a mom. She probably wouldn't want to do this. Or, oh, she's a mom. She's not going to want to travel. She's not going to want this gig. But And people just make these assumptions without even asking me. So I had that my my whole time. I was always concerned about that. Definitely. You're out hanging out for an hour. I could be and he's at the firehouse now all night. So I'm up all night with her and then I'll go out for like an hour. I'm not even talking about the COVID stuff, like even outside or whatever. And people are like, where's the baby? Like no one would ever say that to some guy comic hanging at the cellar. They would never be like, where's your child? It's like, yeah, they immediately assume you're actively abandoning her, which is so terrible because it's how you feel anyway. Like I just went to the bedroom and she was holding the hanger. I was like, why is she holding it? I had the worst 
uh, reaction to that. I was about to say, she's getting an abortion already. Uh, I, I was like, Pete, why did you do all that? It was like one of those baby hangers. He's like, that's a baby hangers. It doesn't matter what kind of hanger she is. So there's also that. Like, I feel like I have to check on her 10 times. I put like a bow out for some like special day and he put it like this, like between her eyes. I was like, why would you ever think a bow goes there? He thought it was like, he, it was worn like glasses or something. Hey, you could check on her a million times, Rachel. I don't know if you've made any mistakes yet where you go, oh my God, how could I have made that mistake? It's going to happen. Yeah. Something's going to happen and you're going to be like, I'm the worst mother ever on earth. It's like, you just feel constantly guilty because you can't be this perfect mom, but we're imperfect people. No, it, does, it helps to hear. That's why I also, I think I like talking to comics because we're more honest about you know, we like will immediately pour out the truth to somebody. And that's better than when somebody glosses over, you know, motherhood. So like if you say anything short of being a mother is just completely bliss, then you must be a bad mom and don't love your kid, which is utterly ridiculous. But the truth is, I, I don't know if this was your experience, but like you become a mother. And I was really young. You know, I was in my 20s, early, mid 20s, something like that. It's like you you have the baby and then you you disappear. Like everything is about the baby. And I'm not saying that it shouldn't be, but for instance, I, I remember, you know, I'm breastfeeding, everyone's how's the baby? How's the baby? The baby's fine. Can I somebody please help me get a glass of water? I know somebody said that once. I saw some like quote or something, and it was like, if asked, hug the mother, not the baby. So like if asked, the mother needs to hug, not the baby. Yeah, and I became Miss Mimi's mom. I don't think anybody in the world of momness knows my name. I'm Miss Meaning's mom. So there's that that thing where you are just this person's mother and nothing else matters. And that's fine. You have that responsibility as a mother. You love your kid. I love my daughter. That's fine. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do as a mom. But you do still have an identity. You still are Rachel. So I think as a woman, you said, no one's going to ask a dude, where's your kid? Guy goes on the road for two days on the road. That's it. You know what I mean? But a woman on the road for two days, like I'm still picturing how that'll all work out. Like uh, Pete often comes with me because he's because he can work a few days overnight at the firehouse and then he'll come. But I'm like, what if he couldn't? What if I was gone two days? Was that make me bad or what? You know, like it's not viewed as the same way at all. It makes you a strong woman that knows that whatever you're doing in this, you're going to be her example. Whether she grows up to hate you or love you, you're going to be her primary example of how to be a woman. So the last thing you would want is for me and my kids, like the last thing I want her to see me do is quit because then that's her example. That's great. That help, That helps to hear like yeah. more than you know. Thank you so much. That's, so that's that. really great. So now what I'm actually wondering too, like Rachel, did you talk to like Bonnie McFarlane? Like, cause I remember also like Bonnie taking Raina pretty much everywhere. You know what was interesting? Not always doing a great job at it, but it was fine. You know, it was no judgment. I think it's not going to be easy. I remember Raina like standing on top of a desk at, I think she was two years old. And Bonnie was still just doing whatever. I was more concerned. She comes on stage with the baby strapped to her chest. It's Christine, the baby, then the mic. I thought like being a mom like changes you. Cause I was like, oh, I don't relate to these women on Instagram who are like, you know, they make those jokes like boxed wine is my juice box. I'm like, do I have to have the sense of humor of like, like a weather woman from Ohio just because I have a kid? Like, I'm like, oh, I'm still an animal. Like the nothing is in that sense. You're still totally yourself. And the same things annoy you. I'm like, 
I thought, I was like, well, I'd be a bad mom because I hate parks. I just assume if anyone's pushing a swing, they need to be rescued. Like just, there's some sadness to me about the lobotomized expression of a woman pushing a swing. And it's like, no, I still don't really like parks, but it's like, I like being with her. And it's just like, there'll be one thing a parent does better, I guess. But can we go back to the pandemic and what you actually, I just want to ask you, because I'm sure that there are a lot of women who had to go through this during this time that had to... How did you navigate that? Like, how did you choose the hospital? Well, we had one, we were a Columbia Presbyterian and then it, it came out that they weren't going to allow spouse in the delivery room there. Pete's cousin knew uh, another doctor upstate in another hospital. So we moved to Westchester, a hospital in Westchester, an hour outside the city, had a planned C-section so we would know the day the baby was going to be born. We kept changing it and uh, I was lucky enough to have like you know, friends and family that was helping me. Some people didn't. I mean, some people gave, had very lonely experiences, like really insanely sad experiences during that time. It was weird. Um, and he didn't come to any of my appointments. He waited outside in the car, you know, to the sonograms and all that kind of stuff. So there's stuff missing, but also it's like my experience was a lot better than, than a lot of people's. I had a lot of comic friends that helped me. I don't want to say I just had a lot of friends because everybody has a lot of friends. I had friends that, you know, could help me, that could think of me, that could send us stuff. You know, I had that level of privilege. Other firefighters and firefighter families always like look out in a certain way. So you're, you're part of a community in in a certain way. Um, So it was isolating. Like I would have loved him to be in the appointments. And even now, like the pediatrician appointments, it's like, Sometimes it's the thing you get excited about because you don't bring her out a lot. So I'm like, what's she going to wear for her once every two month doctor's appointment? <laughs> and we dress her for that because there's not anything else, you know, so and he can't come in. So it's one of us goes in and, you know, like so there's those little things, but uh, it's nothing compared with what a lot of people experience. When you say a lot of people, are you saying a lot of mothers or are you saying a, a lot of people that are dealing with COVID? A lot of mothers that are dealing with COVID. A okay. lot of, I realized that like my experience, like I'm lucky and that I had these friends that Pete knew somebody in his family that knew a doctor at another hospital, you know, that we could have like a planned C-section. I wanted that. Some women, that would have been like their worst nightmare. You know, I didn't want to give birth in any sort of like grapes like situation. Not that it's just grapes for a C-section, <laughs> but... <laughs> well, what about the uh, breastfeeding? We've talked about that, you and I, a lot. Like, Vaughn, did you, with those beautiful, uh, what you do? Did you breastfeed, Vaughn? Yeah, I breastfed. And, and these things are, they're, they're way bigger now than what they were before. So when I breastfed, my um, I breastfed my daughter for, the plan was to do it for at least a year. My itty bitty titty committee titties didn't make it the whole year. It was probably about eight months. And when I had um, stopped, they shriveled up and I looked like the, the women on the National Geographic. Oh. <laughs> yeah, they looked like they fed a whole village, but I only fed one baby. So I didn't understand where my titties went. <laughs> but <laughs> when I was pregnant, you know, I got really big. I was like over 200 pounds with my daughter. So my boobs got really big and then they got really small. And then I got breast implants and had the doctor fill them back in. But then they were just regular size again. And cut to now, I've gained all this grown woman weight. 21 years later, I still blame all my issues on pregnancy. But it's me being fat. But they've gotten so much bigger. 
actually considering getting a breast reduction, getting it a removal. Oh, wow. My titties have a journey and they have their own story. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of shaming with breastfeeding that Rachel was telling me, like she was kind of nervous about not doing it. Oh, you mean like the outside? I never breastfed outside. No, not the shaming of of just like, right, Rachel, you chose not to breastfeed and you said that decision. I only breastfed in the hospital and and then I stopped. Uh, yeah, people said say stuff to you for sure. People would be like, uh, is she breast? I mean, a lot of our extended family and stuff when I was in the hospital would be like, is she breastfeeding now? Is she, did she breastfeed before? Sorry, hold on. I'm going to turn that sound off one second. Is that the baby toy? That's her letting Rachel know she wants her booby milk. So is it true that, Vaughn, when you breastfeed, does it, do some women do it so that they can get rid of all of the fat from their breasts? That was not on my mind. I was so young. I was very gullible and, and naive in life when I was younger. I thought I would pop a baby out, get right back to, you know, whatever I was doing. I didn't know these stretch marks were coming. I didn't know my boobs was going to fall apart. I didn't know none of this stuff. And I also wasn't concerned about weight because I was a skinny mini my whole life. So I was like, oh, this is just pregnancy weight. It'll come off. My intention wasn't like a selfish intention. Let me lose weight with breast milk. It was, I, I read things that said that it's healthier for the baby and it makes them smarter. And I was, I was like, well, I want her to be smart. So I'll breastfeed. But that was my intention, and that's why I wanted to do it for so long. But I don't know what y'all laughing. I don't know what, what she's laughing at. I don't know. I'm, I'm laughing because you said uh, you breastfed because you want her to be smart, but you only breastfed for uh, less than a year, so you didn't want her to be a genius. <laughs> that's what I was laughing at. <laughs> I was like, I only want to. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really, I really wanted to keep going. It just dried up. I don't know why. I was, I was by the book trying to eat the right stuff, do the right thing. And then it just dried up. So I was like, all right, well, God said you're done with my boobies. Let's move on to the next thing. Rachel, I don't know what that was. Was that a kid toy? No, that was, that was actually Pete's phone. I just <laughs> muted it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell any lies here. Uh, that was not a kid toy. That would be like a fun-loving answer. Just like trying to juggle it all. No. <laughs> I had listened to this, uh, a friend of mine who said like she couldn't breastfeed. She didn't have enough milk for her baby. So she was like, uh, in, in her case, she felt like her second child, because she wasn't producing enough, like she was able to control the feeding a little bit more. So I heard different stories about it. Some people can't breastfeed and then they can. For some women, it comes easier to them than others. But I also just like for totally selfish reasons, just like wanted my own body back. I didn't want to have to worry about everything I was taking. If I wanted to take an Advil, if you know, or something, I don't want to be constantly like fearful. And when you're pregnant, there's so much conflicting advice and you're just like, you know, I want to slam some sushi in my face. I feel like shit. And I, somebody told me I can't, everything they tell you is going to kill the baby and they'll do one thing in Japan and they'll do something else in a different, you know, so this, you just, I just wanted to be able to lay there and be and take care of her, but also just not feel like uh, she was inside me all the time, you know. And there's, it travels quicker when you breastfeed than even when you're pregnant. So, whereas you could, you could have a beer. I didn't drink when I was pregnant, but I'm saying you could have a beer. Some women do when they're pregnant, and then, but it's much more risky if you're breastfeeding. The pump and dump. Yeah, I never pumped. I, I was like, I can't, I can't. I mean, women are so much better than me. I couldn't. I don't want to say better. I don't want Let me not qualify. But I'm like, I can't, I can't just attach myself to some sort of uh, pumping apparatus. I'm not that good of a person. I did the pump. That was weird. If nothing else made me feel like an animal, 
it was hooking my boob up to a pump and then watching it and go. It, it I didn't like that. I didn't do that much. Maybe that's why I dried up too soon because I, I, I only let it happen when she was literally doing it herself. But you're supposed to like, it's the whole process and like pumping, it keeps it going. Maybe that's why I dried up earlier, but the pump creeped me out. Yeah, my sister at my, at one of the Thanksgivings, I remember my niece telling on my sister that she was drinking because my aunt said, where's your mom? She goes, oh, she's got to do the pump and dump, (laughs) which means basically she drank alcohol the night before and she's got to pump and dump all of that milk out that has the alcohol in it. And then my aunt was like, why are you look at you telling on your mama like that? You know, <laughs> I don't drink. So I didn't know that reference. But yeah. I was pumping and putting it in little bottles, you know, so that if I'm asleep or something, maybe she could just have a bottle and like do that whole transition into, you know, from a boot to a bottle thing. And that mm. I'm not organized enough either to do all that. Like I would I, I mean, I already probably have sour milk in my purse right now. I don't know how I would be able to handle pumping, dump, I'm dumping the wrong place or some shit. I don't it's know. It's been terrifying, the whole idea of you being, well, I mean, I told Amy, I said, it's just been fun watching Rachel be a mom. It's the f- most fun I've ever had watching someone be a mom. <laughs> but you, you, you know, you're lovely, Rachel. I saw you in t- at two events and it's amazing to see. I've known Rachel since she was like, I feel like she was a teenager almost. I don't know. It's a lovely thing. And you're doing fine. The way I look at it, just as a mother, you're always going to feel like you're not doing a good job, but you're doing a phenomenal job because you're doing the job. As long as you love your kid and we already got that out of the way, you you discovered that you love him. (laughs) (laughs) You're a hero. You are going to do right by her within what you're capable of doing. And that's all anybody can ask of a mother. And that little smile, did you see her when she looked at you? She, she already knows that you're funny. Mommy's funny. I know a lot of times when we do FaceTime, you, you, you try to make it look like she's looking at me, but I know she's looking at you and laughing. I try to get her smile and bring something to the table during FaceTime because she cries like, I mean... If I make a phone call, she thinks every phone call is FaceTime. So she cries like in this tragic way when I'm on the phone. She's like, I thought you were going to face. She cries like a woman who's just been told her son died at war. Like she's like, oh, like this howl, like <laughs> sadness. So I'm just like, Jesus, well, you got to bring something to the table if you want to FaceTime all day. So I try to make her laugh. But she just wants to FaceTime and then she just sits there blinking. Don't let her be around Keith too long because then she's going to start booing you. Keith has been the worst. He's just yells at her shit. Rachel's a bad mom. The worst thing he you does. ever say. He tried to get it like trending. And people would write to me on Instagram. They'd be like, I think you're a good mom, despite what Keith Robinson said. I'm like, he was probably at like OTB when his kids were born. <laughs> he's like, I don't change diapers. That's not what we do or some horseshit. And then he's like, Rachel's a bad mom. Everybody, Rachel's a bad mom. I'm sure that'll, yeah, I mean, he could. What do you think you've learned like that's about yourself being a mom? Like that's new. I thought that it would, it puts extra pressure on the relationship. It does, but it's also like a fun thing to kind of share together. There's less time to argue over horseshit. That's for sure. You know what I mean? Like there's less time for me to aimlessly worry about if somebody's, what some specific person is thinking about or whatever, because you just immediately have to do things. So it kind of takes you, it took me out of my own head a little bit. I wish I could be one of these people that says like, they don't care what people think. I definitely cared, but there's just less time to care. I've always cared. 
I'm always worried of being misinterpreted or every exchange during the day I'm muttering to myself about. But there's less time for that inward muttering because you, yeah, you have to change a diaper and handle some shit. Some real. But shit. do you think, Rachel, that 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 because uh, I struggle with that too, and I'm constantly worrying about oh, what, what do people think or whatever. Do you think that that energy is gonna now go into the moms of the world, like when she starts preschool and and grade school? Because I had that worry. I was constantly worried about, and that's why I kept everything so separate. I'm like, I don't. I don't want them to see. They're going to judge what I'm doing. They're not going to understand. So I, you, I think that energy transfers over from entertainment to mom stuff. I'm definitely worried that if any mother and her, like, it's like her kindergarten, I'm going to use like a certain voice. I just, and I go into a certain voice when I'm with like, you know, like more innocent people. I'll be like, we're really trying to do that with her. That's really important (laughs) to us. Like I I do like a, like a, like a kind of maternal whisper. And then they're going to like Google me and like, yeah, see me talking about dick or something and just think I'm a godless whore. That's actually where, when I first, again, I was using my my legal, I have a stage name because of that. And I was like, I have to figure out a way to keep this very separate. So they know me as my regular government name. And then I, my people in my mom world didn't know I was doing what I was doing until my daughter was in high school. I think they, I was on a talking head comedy show for BET and her friends in high school and her cousins and stuff saw me on the show in a commercial during like the BET awards. And they was like, that's Mimi's, that's Miss Mimi's mom. <laughs> I kept it very one or two here and there new, but I just was like, no, nah, I'm not dealing with the square moms of the world judging me. I humiliate myself at the park already. I, I take big swings with other moms that I don't know how to start the right conversations. I was just going to say that. I walked up to these, like, there was a b- row of kids on swings and I walked up and I wanted to talk to them. You, I know you could picture this, Marita. And I had the baby in my hand and I was like, she's up next. And they were like, what? And I was like, she'll be in one of those soon. And they were just staring at me like, what? Please go. And I was like, I don't know how to start talks with other moms. The fact that I call them talks is so, it just says everything. <laughs> I was like, yeah, she'll be, uh, she's on, yeah, she's in the wings and she'll be uh, <laughs> riding a swing soon. I call it riding. And they just, they like glared at me. Like I was a sex offender and I was like, I'll see myself out. So. She's on deck. <laughs> Rachel is a cool like mom in a sense that you don't, you didn't change Rachel. You are definitely still the same Rachel I know still funny you you're not like more serious now that you're a mom you're you're you still maintained who you are so the pandemic and pregnancy fears spark egg freezing i think this is very fascinating and also good information just to put out for specifically women of color because we don't do this and we don't or we don't think we can afford it as the coronavirus pandemic continues to halt plans for people around the world, women are thinking about their fertility future and taking family planning into their own hands. At New York University's Langone Fertility Center, there's been a 32% increase in women freezing their eggs since June. The facility said, I think that people are realizing that there are many paths to parenthood, and that's kind of a line now with this pandemic, that people are not being forced, but potentially pushed more to pursuing kind of an alternative parenthood. I find that fascinating right now. Um, did you ever consider this? Either one of you or Pat? I didn't want any kids. <laughs> you you always knew that? That I didn't want any kids? Yeah. Uh, when I found out a gay, I was gay, uh, 
even that wasn't even it. I just didn't want the responsibility of uh, anybody else. I'm terrified of commitment in that way. So um, I'm I'm been vacillating whether to get a cat or a dog since the 10 years I've been in living in New York. So are you the same way in relationships? Uh, I think so. Like with commitment? Yeah, I think so. Honestly, I, I think I've only lived with um, uh, a partner for eight years. I had a eight year long relationship, but even that was the longest I committed to and it, it terrified me. Yeah, I never wanted to have a kid of my own. If I had a partner that wanted to have a kid, then I'm all in because I feel like that's the best of both world to have somebody to share that responsibility with. Yeah. I, that's why I was also asking you, Pat, because I was thinking like the freezing of the eggs, like genetically for me, I kind of feel like I've like stomped on my family tree because <laughs> I'm not going to have kids. And I, I, I guess I'm asking you that Pat, cause I'm like, at some point, do you feel like you want to extend your family tree of like genetically from you or you never really cared about that. I don't think that was a big thing for me. Uh, but my sister had two kids and uh, my niece looks so much like me. I'm good. <laughs> Actually, when she was little, I used to tell people, I'm like, yeah, that's my daughter. And she was like, auntie. I was like, shut up. We played a game. Um, <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> but no, I never I never think about it as a loss in that sense, because I am Rachel in the sense that I'm ADDT. So when I focusing on something I'm totally in. And so comedy was the mistress that I never wanted to give up. I could never do one or the other. And I uh, praise people that can do that, but I'm not multitask like that. I'm very one dimensional, just singularly focused on one thing at a time. I, I can't do anything more than that. I was actually wondering, Rachel, how you're able to handle your ADD as a mom. I mean, I'm sure I'm going to do a million like wild, dumb things. Like my, I think my dad was a little like that because I remember we, we went to my bat mitzvah and we didn't like we had a we I went to a school and people had a lot of money and we didn't you know and my mom was like a social worker and we were struggling and my dad was a lawyer but he was like a civil rights lawyer that worked for the government so we were we were kind of struggling a little and we got my party was in one of those little houses they have in parks you know like just like in the middle of the park or whatever. And so my dad and, you know, this I, I went to a school where people would have themes for their bat mitzvahs, like wild, insane. They would do it at like Strathmore Hall type places. You know, we had like Kool-Aid and some hot dogs and we were going to this park place. And then my dad somehow got lost. It wasn't even that far from our house. He got lost because he didn't remember <laughs> like the map because that's how we would get the places. And we came like 30 minutes late. People were outside, locked out. And my theme was like comedy movies. So I was holding all these dumb posters. I had like a National Lampoon's vacation poster and I had to hang them up in front of my friends. I was like horrified. <laughs> so I'm sure I will do stuff like that. Not that because I have, you know, I'll have a GPS or whatever. But my dad, <laughs> like certain things where I'd be like, oh, my God, this is not happening right now. And you feel like but, you, you know, forgive them for a lot. Like, I always feel like I'm missing out of the moment that you kind of sympathize with your parents because you're a parent. Yes, definitely now. Like, I'm like, my mother had three kids and had like cloth diapers. She would just have lapses in judgment where she would share a thing that you should not share with stuff because she wasn't talking enough to like other adults and stuff. Looking back, I'm like, what? She put us all in like cloth diapers? How did she do that? Because she thought it was like the better thing to do. I'm like, that sounds insane. Three kids, cloth diapers. My dad would be, he was on the road a lot, you know? So he was away and she was just alone with three kids. So it definitely gives you a new appreciation and 
definitely for like the wildly humiliating things that my my dad especially would would do. He was in a band called the Vomitones, and they had a sweatshirt that said uh, "Hands Across Uranus Tour," which he thought was hilarious. <laughs> So the band's called the Vomitones. He played like piano and accordion or whatever. And it just said, hands across your anus. And he would wear that sweatshirt like every day to pick me up. The tour was just like two dive bars in Michigan that the Vomitones played. I was horrified. I'm like, can he not pick me up in the Vomitones shirt? They've also played at my school on multicultural night. There's nothing multicultural, but like a couple of Jews playing blue moon howling. <laughs> It's happening with my nieces and and definitely with Bonnie's daughter, Raina, who I've known since she was a baby. You see the eye rolling and you're never cool enough. And, you know, my nieces, they they don't really laugh at anything except for my sneakers. They saw my sneakers and that was hilarious to them. <laughs> um, they were like, please don't ever leave the house. Were they like puffy action sneakers? There's new balance. It's just like, you know, like Midwestern gardening sneakers <laughs> they could have been the coolest yeezys or whatever they're wearing and they would have been like oh that's what whatever you do as an adult at a certain age frame with kids it does not matter you are corny wait marina what did you tell me your niece said to you once that speaking of that she said something to you about you not being an adult that's like hilarious to me what did she say again to leah Oh, I think my brother-in-law was like, is Marina an adult? She was like, no, (laughs) (laughs) they don't, they don't think they still don't believe that I'm the same age as their mother. Cause we're only six months apart. My sister and I, Leah and I are what's considered Irish twins. Obviously we're not Irish, but Irish twins means you have the same father, different mothers that are, were pregnant at the same time. They think you're too cool to be the same. No, that was when they were younger. They said that now forget it. It's like, you know, and now they're challenging me with TikTok. I get like screenshots of how they're passing me on TikTok and that they're going to be the celebrity because I'm not I don't have enough followers on TikTok. So it's fine. Let's move on to find these some of these articles, these hot topics, uh, finding joy. Thank you, Pat. (laughs) I was waiting for you to come in. The pandemic has been an incredibly difficult time for all of us. It's been a collective traumatic experience that will take us years to recover from. But in order to survive, we've got to learn to adapt, find pockets of joy. I'm going to ask you guys, where did you find your pockets of joy in this 2020? I'll start with you, Pat. Uh, My pocket of joy. Uh, Me and Jenny, we would go to the beach uh, when it was warmer every Friday or Saturday. And uh, so since the beach time is over, now we get together on Sundays and we have it's called Taco Tuesdays. It's Tacos, not Tuesdays. And we what we have we watch movies all day uh, on Tuesdays. And so we we drink, we eat and we watch movies all day on Tuesday. So that's what we do. And that has been my my joy during this this whole pandemic. It wasn't riding bikes with me. Oh, I really did enjoy that uh, until you made until until you made it a competition. Oh my god! You know what's funny is Isis, my best friend. She actually said she stopped working out with me for that reason. Oh, I was beating you though. I was like, you was you like, oh, I can't get up the hill. I'm like, let's get up the hill. You like, oh, I used oh to do. Pat, <laughs> I was like, but I, but I, but I enjoyed, I like, I just like getting out. I'm very athletic. I, I like getting out. So I didn't have a problem with you being competitive. I just felt like if we're going to do it more, then we should probably should not 
be a competition. Oh, it's always a competition. That's how Pete is. He makes everything a competition. And my friend took his picture to a psychic when we were dating. And the psychic said, he's a good guy. Just one thing. He needs to win. And then I asked his dad, I was like, tell me about Pete when he was a little kid. Like, and he goes, he was a good kid. Just one thing. He always had to win. And I was like, oh my God, but it's true. We went to like bowl on like our second date and I, I was like wildly failing at bowling, just like hurling the balls in the gutter. And you think at that point he wants me to put out or whatever. So I was like, you know, you think he'd be trying to like impress me a little. He's just getting, you know, strike after strike. And I'm like, and I was like, oh, can I do an extra turn? You know, and he's like, no, nah, the rules are the rules. I'm like, there's nobody here. <laughs> Shouldn't you be trying to get laid at this point? <laughs> Where have you found your pocket of joy, Rachel? Where's your pocket? We, uh... We went to a drive-in. We went actually with Dave Juskow and and my buddy Memo and and, and Pete. Well, that was like one of the first things we did. We went to go see Trading Places, and I used to like love that movie. So that was kind of fun. Nice. Just going like going it going to a drive-in. I made I made a diabetic cake because <laughs> <laughs> oh. I had gestational diabetes, and it, it seemed like such a defiant act putting on the gloves and putting the mask on and going to a store. Because at that point, nobody was even going to stores, and I. I was just like, I just want to go to a store with a mask, some synthetic gloves to make it. I never thought I would have a desire to make it. I'm not a baker, but I was just like, you know, you're just sitting there staring at the wall. I'm like, oh, we could pick an argument with each other right now, or I could make a fun loving diabetic cake. What is gestational diabetes for someone who may not know who's listening? It is diabetes that you get when you're pregnant. And then as soon as it's a very common thing that happens during pregnancy. And then as soon as you have the baby, you don't have diabetes anymore. So right in March, we figured out that I'd had I had gestational diabetes and usually it's pretty treatable with extra appointments and stuff. But at that time, they didn't want, even want us to come in. They wanted to do the appointments virtually. So we were having to like figure out the blood sugar. And again, I could barely do, I can't do long division. And I was trying to like figure out my blood glucose levels and stuff. It was a weird thing to like to manage on top of everything else when we couldn't actually go in and, and get me, you know, checkups and stuff. But you so, made but you pivoted and you made a diabetic cake. I did. <laughs> I did. I made a diabetic cake. I mean, I'm not gonna say it was great. I'm not really. I'm more. I cook more than I bake. I don't know. But yeah, no, it was a. It was a hard thing to to figure out. Remember, I was always pricking myself and stuff. And you t- you helped me because you because your dad was diabetic, so you gave me like some tips and stuff. Yeah, he used to t- he used to do the. I used to see all this blood. My dad was like kind of ADD-ish too. He never really threw away things. So I was like, what is that? Then all of a sudden I realized, oh, my dad has diabetes. That's how I learned about stuff genetically in my family. It was like, oh, those eye drops that you put in your eyes, oh, that's for glaucoma. So I should probably pay attention to that. No one actually talked to me about it. You know, that's why I also say like, you're with your family and stuff is happening. Be sure to share every part of your health history. Don't hide it. Vaughn, what was your joy pocket? I'm glad you got to me last because when you said it, I was like, wow, do I have one? I mean, we've started walking together, which is fun. I was going to leave with that, but then I was like, you know, it's not always about Marina, but it should be. (laughs) (laughs) I had a lot of personal, like a lot of heavy and personal loss during this time, but and my go-to is always to thrive with work stuff. So I had a lot of blessings and things happening and a lot of growth on the professional side of me, but the personal side of me, very isolated, lonely, a lot of stuff going on. Maureen, I know about a lot of it quietly, but 
listening to you guys and asking myself that question, get off because my go to when I'm going through deep stuff personally is to just work, 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 focus, focus, focus. And I, I don't really focus on getting better. And I think my pocket of joy this time around and the loss that I'm experiencing personally is learning how to focus and love myself. And I've been doing this. Um, I've been reading this book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life. And I've been doing these daily exercises to grow in a, in a stronger relationship with myself and God. And I think that that's my pocket of joy. And going on walks with Marie. That, that those are saving me. That's more for me too. I know I say I'm saving. I think I'm doing it for you, but I'm not. I'm doing it for me too. Gone. Ex- I saw Al. I saw Al. Marina was concentrating on my booty, but I saw Al. Her ass was distracted. But the thing is, I know it's amazing. My camera it's- chose to look at your ass instead of the owl. My camera was like, I'm... That video back, I, I posted <laughs> oh, it on my, my Instagram. God. It made me laugh so hard. I was like, Marina's such a freak. <laughs> I was about to say it's marvelous. And I was like, that is... I, 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 that's the goofiest thing I've ever... It's marvelous! <laughs> but, but I think it is good to find that person, to check in with them during this time. I keep saying that, and even in the last episode, that you may be a strong person and not realize that you need to be checked in on, right? You're checking in on everyone else and not realizing that you need to be checked in on. I mean, I'm I'm oftentimes, I would say on Thanksgiving, Vaughn, we had that conversation. Thanksgiving was very tough for me, but I had a moment where I was like, I let it go. But then I realized I'm not checking in with other people. I hadn't even called you that day. I talked to you the next day and realized I should have called you. In that conversation we had, we discovered we were both having such a, terrible time on thing. I literally cried from one in the afternoon to about 10 at night until my head exploded and talking to Marina and, and the next day we were like, we absolutely could have had that, that time on Thanksgiving. And that's part of, part of what I'm learning and growing in my closer relationship with myself and God is also understanding the value of relationships, not just what a man, but friendships and the value of that and the reciprocal energy and love and attention, the focused attention that you could give someone is more valuable than anything. Yep. Rachel, you called me and I appreciated it. It was really sweet when you called me. And thank you for that, Vaughn. That was great what you just said. I don't want to just move past that, but like, I want to make sure that I acknowledge that Rachel did call. I don't want to. And that that was really sweet because you called with the baby. And there's something about every time I see the little princess. I, I'm. She's so cute. Whenever can I say her name? Her nickname, Frankie. Her nickname is Frankie. Her full name is Elena Francis, but you can say her. Name. So when Frankie, when I see little Frankie, it just cheered me right up. It was just very thoughtful. So thank you. I'm so glad. I want to say one really quick thing, but when because we were talking about pregnancy, the other reason that uh, I was a little nervous or scared was because I'd had a miscarriage. And I just feel like I should always tell people that because so many people have miscarriages. So I don't like to talk about it. Like it was just this fun surprise and it all worked out. Like there, there was a lot of like loss for anybody that's experienced miscarriages. There's so much more common that people talk about it and that people talk about for some weird reason. So I think that was the other reason why I was dressing like B. Arthur was because I was afraid. <laughs> I was afraid like you're, you experience your body letting somebody down. It's like, I remember my husband in the hospital room, like weeping and I had a scare again, was hospitalized early in my pregnancy this time. Just so 
anybody that's had a miscarriage, I, if I read even, uh, it's still now, like uh, I read like Michelle Obama's book, she had a miscarriage, like just knowing that people had it. Yeah. It, it helps me still. Cause it, it's, there's like a lot of fear with it. So if anybody had one that happened to us, so. what's her name? Um, John Legend's wife, Christy Teigen, Christy Teigen, Megan Markle. It's been a lot of miscarriages. I, and I'm often wondering, is there more now than before? Or are we just more publicly talking about it? I don't know. I think so. Because I think like uh, when I told, when I had a miscarriage, we were engaged and I was like, tell the wedding planner lady. And she's like, oh, I had three miscarriages. And then I went, went to this woman for acupuncture. And I was like, she's like, oh yeah, I had a miscarriage. And like every, almost every single person told me they had one. So I think it's like one, two or one in three or something insane. Wow. And I think it wasn't, discussed i was uh my i was i was young i was like i think i was about 10 or 11 and my mother told me that um she had a miscarriage or i don't know how i found out about it i think she was in the hospital and then we wonder where she was and then later or maybe i overheard i don't know if she directly told me but I, somehow i found out that she had a, a miscarriage and i keep thinking about because i'm the youngest of uh five and so i was i always wanted a younger sibling because I was the youngest. And so I was like, always like, I would treat my younger sibling way better than my older siblings treated me. So I was like, I wanted that child so bad. I still think about that child. It would have been a great big sister. I would have been. Yes. I I was ready. I wanted that. It's interesting to watch my nieces get older. My older uh, Harper with her younger sister, they both now have their own bedrooms and you would think they would be getting along now. And now it's more of an issue. Now it's like, you can't come in my, there's signs on their doors. Like, unless you knock, please do not come in. And I saw my sister going, take that off the door. What are you guys? So they're having, they're having these little wars like at home right now. Cause they're, you know, they're isolated. I want to say for anyone else, this was in this article that was written by the root by Jay Connor about finding joy for anyone else struggling with loneliness or isolation during this time, I strongly encourage you to not only be honest and vulnerable with your friends and loved ones about your struggles, but to seek out professional help if need be. Because I think the long-term effects of the isolation, I've been talking with people about this, especially with younger people, we're going to see it in the next, it's, it's yeah, it's a little bit overwhelming, but I think about it all the time. So that's why I just... I say, if you need help, please reach out and start now. Don't overestimate those feelings that, you know, don't, it's okay. There's a lot of things happening on Zoom too. Like there's codependency meetings. If someone in your family is struggling that you could go to or with mental illness or these CODA meetings on Zoom and all kinds of stuff. No. So besides diabetic cakes, I also like, yeah, went to therapy and weird Zoom things and yeah. I see a lot of ads scrolling up when you're like scrolling through Instagram and stuff. I'll see a lot of those pop-up ads for like the online um, therapy and stuff like that. Has anyone ever tried any of that? No, I have a therapist, but I do, I do know there are several. Uh, we had someone on the show. Uh, I think Jackie Fabulous goes online. She mentioned it on our last episode. And I, I'll definitely put that up on our Facebook for you to check it out. So... I want us to ask you guys about the New Year's resolutions then. 
why I'm not making a New Year's resolution. December is usually a time for self-reflection, but in recent op-ed for Vice, reporter Hannah Smothers explained why she's not making a New Year's resolution for 2021. She writes, for lack of other support, I don't think it's regressive or worthless to feel like there's a floor beneath your feet and a sweet taste in your mouth as we fight our way into the next year. The events of this year have emphasized the importance of directing energy towards community and reform over a list of small tasks that stand in for personal growth. Do you feel like the same? Do you feel like you need to make a resolution or fuck it? It's just whatever. Are you doing anything for New Year's? Yeah, I do something for every year. I always appreciate that New Year's is a time of reflection, that you you look back on the past year and, you know, think about uh, what things that you want to improve in going forward and what things that, you know, that you are, you feel grateful for that you want to continue. So I bring my New Year's in with usually prayer. And that's what I've been doing in like the last five years. Uh, how was your birthday, Marina? Oh, my birthday was amazing. <laughs> I, I went to, uh, thank you, Pat. Thanks for asking. It was, uh, I, I'm another year. <laughs> You're so funny. I am actually now the age I can never talk about. Oh my God. I am so golden. Um, what did you do? I went to the uh, <laughs> I went to the Hamptons. I got a lap dance with a stranger with a mask on. Mask on. He had gloves. What? When did this happen? When, what was the situation? <laughs> no, I'm making this up. This is all oh, I believe you. I was going with the whole thing. But I am going to the Hamptons. So the Hamptons was a lot of fun. Thank you, Pat. Um, I'm going to be with a, uh, on a group of Irish people for my birthday. This is a different way of celebrating, a different way that I celebrated. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Pat, for asking. It was really sweet and kind of you to make me figure how to do that. Vaughn, what are you, are, for the new year, what you doing, girl? I, I'm taking it day by day. I have no idea. I really don't. I, I do um, normally do what Pat does, which is reflect and pray. I'm an e-member to churches and stuff. So I'll probably, you know, bring in the new year in prayer by myself. I, I really don't have any plans and I definitely, I'm not doing any new year's resolutions. I'm, I'm really trying to take it day by day and see what happens and, and just hope for the best. Okay. Rachel. I don't have any new year's plans either. I, um, I never make resolutions. I, I probably should, but I just assume that I'll let them go immediately. But yeah, I mean, Pete does. He makes like a million. Like I was saying, he likes to win. I feel like it, I don't know, his books are all like about like winning and conquering and he's always trying to get better at chess. If I had a book, it would be like second to last. It's fine. That works for me. <laughs> I love that as a book title. You watched The Queen's Gambit or is that what it's called? Yes, I loved The Queen's Gambit. That was so Did good. he like it? He loved it. He loves chess. I, I it, it bores me in a profound way. But the, I liked it because just like the history, I love... Um, I love like historical fiction and stuff. So it was like an interesting about that time and the Cold War and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and I liked her outfits. I'll be honest. I'm not going to tell any lies here. I like the dresses. The outfits were a part of it. I, I think the... I love to watch that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's what uh, they're doing really well now when they are uh, certain shows like uh, Schitt's Creek. Her, the fashion on that show was just uh, incredible. It's amazing. So Queen's Gambit was really good. Me and uh, Jenny was one of the... Uh, series that we watched together too. So that was great. Yeah, that outfit reminds me like of old time, like fashion, like Catherine Hepburn and um, who am I thinking of? The uh, uh, Jackie Onassis. Yeah. Yeah, but also set against 
the gender of of the times and she was you know the dresses and so feminine against this man and the suits and all of that i thought that was just a good juxtaposition of uh who she was in this society at the time so i thought that was just excellent love i thought it was also cool that she didn't have she they usually she has sex life in it but they didn't make her either you know, a slut or fully innocent. They often do that with these female characters. If they're sexual, they make them kind of cold and like act out. And her, she had sex, but it wasn't the point of it. That wasn't, it wasn't like we're judging whether she does or doesn't or when she does. And and a guy wasn't the main drive of it. It wasn't like she lived this life until this man noticed her in a certain perfect way. It was more about her drive and her like you're career. right yeah and I thought that was kind of cool because you you always see like female characters be one or the other however there was that moment where they got a little cheesy with the guys like kind of cheering her on I was like all right all right I get it yeah that would never happen you're right I was They'd like they're like, like high-fiving each other because she's great I'm like nah come on, come on. I think I, I think you're wrong about that in the sense that uh they came together because we came became a team they, it was like more of like a country versus their other country so I believe that that's that's plausible. I, yeah, no, I, I got that. I just meant like, it, for me, it was just, I don't I don't know if it's a debatable thing. It's just my opinion. No, no, it's not. I, I agree with you that it's not. Debatable. You know what I mean? It was yeah. just, mm-hmm. it was like a, like a, I get what you're saying though. But I did, for a moment there, I was like, it got kind of got Hollywood cheesy with it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm like, all right, you're beating it over the head. I got the point. And I also love the crown. Now, Vaughn, it doesn't look like you've watched this show because she's you know not- what? I'm the type of person that if something is popular I don't watch it and then I watch it like after everyone's over it so like but aren't you worried that things will leak out like that's what I'm constantly worried I love spoilers oh tell me the end because if I know what's gonna happen then I because when I watch stuff I'm trying to figure out where it's going too much and then I'll overthink it I'll miss stuff if I already know what's happening I'm more relaxed watching it and then I'm like I, when I see little clues happening, I'm like, ah, oh, this is that what that's gonna make sense later. So I am I'm I'm usually the spoiler alert. I, I forget that I'm spoiler alert. Don't talk to me about that. I'll tell you the end. Well, what about the unknown? Is did anyone watch that? That's on it was on Undoing. The Undoing. Is that's it the undoing. Exactly. <laughs> it's the undoing, exactly. That's what it is. Yes, yes. I saw the <laughs> That's what it did is. Did I say it wrong? We both hey, did. The Undoing is great. <laughs> The unknown is just. Oh, I feel like that session. That would be my book. The unknowing. I don't know. The undoing. You know what it is? I I just think 2020 should be called the unknown because that's how this whole year has been. We just don't know shit. But go ahead. The undoing. Did anyone watch it? Yeah, I watched it. So good. Then I, I come in late after it's already said and done, and the seasons are over. It's because I like to binge watch stuff. I'm very impatient. I don't like cliffhangers. I'm waiting until the next. I hate that. Well, it's over now, so I don't can... usually get. Is this something that's going to have two, three seasons? Because I'll, I'll binge two, three seasons in. No, it was a miniseries. It's really interesting. Okay, then I, I could, I could do it now. Did you watch it, Pat? No, I didn't see it. It was, it was interesting because it's about. I think I don't know really narcissism, sociopaths. I love, I love anything like that. Like people analyzing character disorders and stuff. I'll, I'll diagnose someone with little information. <laughs> yeah, I'll spend like five minutes with some guy and I'll be like when I used to when I was like dating online I'd be like yeah, I think he's boardy he's a borderline I'd shorten it to boardy too which is unacceptable speaking but of, I find that stuff fascinating speaking of unknowns uh something Rachel used to do 
with my phone is with guys I would date and she would take my phone and text them back for me. Remember when you did that and you text the one guy, tell them what you like text the one guy with the sloppy shirt that looked like the, not a wife beater, but more. I can't remember what I wrote, but it was completely unacceptable. I don't know if you were that into that guy. So I wrote some ludicrous stuff to just sort of slowly fade it, but he would not be faded. At the grocery store, you said the item. Yeah, I said, I was like, I'm going to the store. Hmm, feeling sexy, thinking about like mayonnaise, mustard, maybe a turnip, like <laughs> OMG, like just so weird. And, and he kept going with it. He, uh, it just, and I wrote the most unacceptable items. I'm like, I don't know what I said, but it was something along the lines of like thinking about getting some like, you know, oversized panties, like always been into the baggy look, just like not, nothing I wrote was okay. And he was just, he could not be shed you couldn't shed that guy couldn't shed I couldn't him. shake him I was saying the most absurd nonsense and so that for that reason I just was like I can't date this guy all right so uh I was like he's too he's too into me so this pandemic Hanukkah may be the most important of our lifetime how do you feel about that Rachel now being that I am what uh 17 I forgot how much percentage of Ashkenazi I am 11, 11.8. So is that like one candle? <laughs> I get, I, yeah, I get one, maybe not even. I may not get to light them. While many feel that the 2020 holiday season will be less fun or meaningful because of the pandemic, Rabbi, um, is it Levy Greenberg or Levi? Uh, probably Levy. Levy Greenberg thinks this Hanukkah may be the most important of our lifetime. In an op-ed for the Jewish Telegraphic Agency, he writes, instead of simply commemorating distant history, the Hanukkah lights are meant to inspire us here and to the unique ability of every individual to transform the dark and increasingly chaotic world around us into a place of brilliant serenity. We light them after dark to emphasize the power of a single good deed to neutralize much evil. As a small flame vanquishes even immense darkness in ever okay, I'm gonna stop reading because I, I suck at reading. <laughs> but do, do you celebrate Hanukkah, Rachel? Yeah, now that yeah, we have our menorah here. It's all set. It's teed up. Hold on, it's in the wings. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's on deck. <laughs> uh, not, I mean, we didn't really do. We did when I was a kid, but I never celebrated as an adult until we had Frankie, and then I was like, oh, we should do menorah, like you know, just because maybe she'll be amused by the lights. Christmas always took over. I was just jealous of Christians and wanted a Christmas tree and all that stuff. But it's nice to do now, you know. We do it. On, we're going to do it on Zoom with my parents because they we can't be together or whatever. So, um, yeah, why not? Happy Hanukkah, everybody! It's time to get post nasty. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, so we'll move on from Hanukkah to something that you all know I do: pandemic shaming. <laughs> right? I'm the shamer. With the pandemic surging and winter holidays upon us, shaming people into taking precautions against COVID may seem like a moral duty. However, experts suggest that shame might be counterproductive. In a New York Times article, reporter Spencer Bocott Lindell suggests that the stigma that punitive measures like shaming create can make controlling an outbreak more difficult by making people more likely to hide symptoms. Okay. Avoid treatment and forgo healthy behavior. So basically, don't shame. It doesn't help. I mean, like, I feel like at this point, it's weird because doctors have a right to be angry, but the average person out there just telling someone to wear a mask should maybe take a step back. What do you think? I think it's bullshit. I think that the the people who are selfish enough to not care enough to err on the side of caution for themselves, their families and others. I'm not saying like, like shame is a harsh word, 
but the, it should be pointed out. I don't think we should like succumb to their sensitivity. And I think if they're going to do, if they're not, if they're going to hide their symptoms and do all of that, they're going to do it anyway. If that's the type of person you are, that's what you're going to do. So no, I, I think it should be pointed out. I disagree with that. I think you have to address it because I think if we become silent about it, they start to believe that everyone believes that it's not as a big deal. Like I was on, um, I was on a train the other day and a guy sat down across from me and everybody had their mask on, on the, on the train, but he didn't. And I said, uh, sir, you're right across from me. Do you mind putting on your mask? And he said, uh, give me a minute. And then I, I was noticing he was taking really heavy breaths. He was taking really heavy breaths. Like he was catching his breath. And I was like, I can get that. But when he put his mask on, he put it on just up to his mouth and not over his nose. And I was like, wow. And I've already checked you once. So I just moved. I feel like if you don't say, tell people that it is important and it's important to you, they become less stringent about their own use. And they they stop seeing that it's beneficial to everybody around them if you're not pushing for that all the time. Even though, and then, then I moved, and when I moved, I, I noticed later that he put his mask over his nose. So that by my little, I don't know, uh, behavior of a rebellion, it caused him, maybe it caused him to put his mask on the proper way. I don't know. Or maybe he was just getting timed because he was a big dude. Maybe he just needed to, to get as much oxygen as he could before he put his mask on. I don't know. I would worry the fact that he wasn't breathing like if he was sick. I don't know. The way Pat handled that was great. I think when um, the shaming aspect of it, where we're, or not we, but when people are like just being completely argumentative right out the gate with people is counterproductive, but definitely saying something is necessary. I think so too. This Drew Frazier put this post and it angered me. She was like, for example, some psychologists suggest that instead of confronting people for not wearing a mask from a place of self-interest indignation. Wow. Yeah, that's what she put in her tweet how you might emphasize how wearing a mask helps protect others. It's like, what? Self-interest indignation. Well, I think that I think that is telling you, uh, that, that is letting the person know how it, it benefits others. So I'm saying, do you mind I'm trying to live, you know? Uh, or I, I'm, I'm, I could possibly infect somebody that I care about. So that is self-interest and it also may, might be the same self-interest and also prolonging uh, or protecting your family members. And and this other woman, Jenna Wortham tweeted, there was a person in the grocery store asking others to respect the six feet. And when people looked at them askew, they replied, I lost someone recently. I was too stunned to offer condolences, but I'm sitting with how much invisible grief there is all around us. And it's deep. That's deep. That tweet is deep. Yeah. Facts. Right. Well, I've also learned in this time, like everyone is, yeah, that invisible grief or also fear. I think there's also invisible fear. Like some people are disguising their fear with confidence about this virus in the way that they maneuver. Like I'll notice some people say they're not afraid of the virus, but they won't take the vaccine. And I find those two things very odd because the virus, because you can't see it, I could see you not being afraid of it. The vaccine, because we know it's a solid thing and we're not, we don't trust it, we're afraid of it. And I just wish those two things would be the same. It's like, I'm afraid of the vaccine and I'm afraid of the vi both things. When entering my body is going to disrupt it. So 
that's why I'm always confused when someone says, I'm not afraid of this virus, but I'm not taking the vaccine. I just, that, that boggles me, you know? Um, but I have oftentimes taken a step back and gone, don't judge even though I secretly do judge. <laughs> but I outwardly take a step back and I go, just let people keep, as my sister said, keep your needle on your own record. Hmm. That's an old reference. It is such an old reference. <laughs> such an old reference. <laughs> but, and, I, and I told Yamanika that once Yamanika was like, oh, I'm going to have to steal that. I was like, oh, Lord. But it was, she was right. It's like, you know what? You can only say so much and then you have to mind your own goddamn business, pretty much, you know. It makes the pandemic situation so hard because you do have to do that and then just mind your business but it is our business because this is all directly affecting all of us even if we don't get sick it's still spiraling things out of control lockdowns the economy it's just a whole trickle down effect it is minding your own business in a sense because it's affecting all of us and that's what that's the part that infuriates me is that people don't care anymore about the common good. This is driven by a, uh, a political party, in my opinion. You have people continually getting the virus because they're they're not being responsible anyway. And then just like Giuliani, they give them the treatment that only the rich or the privileged can get. And so they see them coming out of this the virus after two or three days and, and, and they're impression is, oh, the virus is not that serious. He's an old man. He got the virus and he's walking around three days later. No, he's an old guy that knows the president who has access to treatment that you'll never get. That is true. The president was airlifted. Didn't he get, didn't he get something that, like a drug that is, correct me if I'm wrong. It has, uh, was, uh, yeah, embryo cells in it. Right. And so he has this pro-life public stance, but then he was benefited by, like, he doesn't believe in, I don't just mean pro-life as in, as in, um, I mean, like stem cell research. He's like, and then, but he was benefited by that science and had special access to it as president. Right? Am I correct? Yeah, it, it, absolutely. Mind-boggling to me about the whole, that, that group of people that don't see the hypocrisy, that don't see that, hey, you're not going to get airlifted. You're not going to get the same. I don't, I'm fascinated and stunned by the the disconnect that they can't see that part of it. Honestly, uh, I can't take it for long, but have, do you watch Fox News? It is li- literally another world. I mean, it is. I'm one of those people that go back and forth, so I'm getting all of what's happening and being talked about and from all the perspectives. So I'm not just in one lane. Yeah. But it is. If that's all you listen to, you literally think this, this, the world is a different world than it, than we know it to be or factually it is. Is there a reliable conservative source that you've gone to or checked out? There was, I'm looking right now, but I I like, I like to go to Jessica Yellen's page because she does kind of thorough reporting and she doesn't just like speak in numbers that are scary and depressing you know Mm -hmm. she interviewed a few like staunch conservatives that one of them trump fired because he was you know he couldn't really control him uh this guy named miles taylor he's like a you know he's like a libertarian very right-leaning guy um and he has his own ideas about you know, fiscal conservatism and stuff like that. I could barely explain what that means, by the way. I'm not going to pretend because <laughs> I said it. She interviews people like that. And he's like, but there is, this, there are certain truths, you know? And so when, I guess when he bumped against what Trump wanted his reality to be, he was fired and he was the whistleblower 
uh, that wrote that first big article on the Trump administration. Oh, he anyway, was he anonymous? Yes, he was anonymous. Exactly. Okay. I took too much time saying that, but I find her page kind of interesting because she interviews a lot of conservatives uh, as well. I think the Wall Street uh, Journal might be they're a considered a conservative paper, and I think they, I mean, they come from a right wing or conservative uh, viewpoint perspective, but I, I don't think they they out and out dodge the truth. They don't make up the truth. Right. And Politico, that's a website that's run half by Republicans, half by Democrats, and they have like pretty good fact checkers I've heard on it. So it's interesting because it's so hard for me to, I can't, I, Pat, I cannot watch Fox News. I, even if I see a, it's so hard. I agree with you. It is hard, but I feel like those are, I don't want to be out of the loop that I don't know how extreme these people are are believing and what they are believing. I need to know even in the, the the depth of their ignorance, in the depth of their depravity from what they might feel like is a left-leaning culture or a way of life or whatever. I need to I need to experience that. And I need to know that. I just I just feel like I have to. But I don't ever watch like Tucker Carlson, he can drop dead today and I would not uh blink an eye. People like that, uh, in, or Laura Ingram, those people I don't watch. I, I'll try to watch more of the, uh, the more news oriented shows on Fox, but even those are, um, hard to watch. I get so angry. <coughs> you all right? Uh-oh. Hold on. Uh-oh. White woman down. Somebody call Fox News. I think, she, I think she's drinking water. <laughs> Somebody call Fox News. Yeah, three three black women had something to do with uh, a white woman going down. <laughs> we, got <rid> of <laughs> we got rid of a Karen. Yeah, we took care of her. Yeah, this is not going to end well for us. Uh, I live, Rachel. Live. Go ahead, Fond. Continue. I get so angry when I'm watching it because. I get disgusted at the level of hypocrisy and the level of comfort in their soul that they can actually spew this stuff out and know that they're gaslighting and manipulating people and be okay with it. It should be a crime. It should be a crime. It should be a crime. And it makes you want to, it, it, it raises your blood pressure. That's why I can't keep it on that channel too long. But I got it. I got to dip out really quick because I start yelling at the TV and it's like, you want to do something, you know what I mean? And, and you can't. What do you think they're going to do? Like they have to at some point, because we, we're now seeing the effects of fake news. It's like, and then Facebook has, has doesn't. Do you understand um, what's going on with Facebook? I don't understand. Facebook it. is amplifying it. Oh, and also they're suing Facebook because say Facebook is uh, killing smaller businesses and swallowing them up. So is Amazon. Uh, Do you understand it, though? I don't understand how they're killing small business. I keep seeing the... You all right, Rach? Yeah, I spit my Gatorade every Listen, day. Rachel, wear a mask, all right? When well, you're coughing through Zoom, we don't want to catch your coon. <laughs> Did you wear your mask, Rachel? I do wear my mask outside, but... I just like spit Gatorade everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but our, but Pat, what can you explain to me that what what are the antitrust thing? Yeah, I don't, I don't really understand it. Well, I can give you an example of what uh, Amazon did. So Amazon, there was a company that was working with Amazon. They they were on their platform, so they were selling uh, diapers, right? And so they had great, uh, the public loved what they did and they had, you know, good numbers and whatever, whatever. And they sold these, the diapers for a very just amount compared to, you know, other companies. So they were making a lot of money doing this. So 
what Amazon started to do, they started doing everything that they did, this company did, and then start putting the price down lower and lower. And so then they start putting the price so low that people started going to Amazon instead of this company. So they effectively put this company out of business and then they raised the price on the diapers as soon as they did. So that's antitrust in sense that you become so big that you gobble up the smaller competitors. And so you can become the big, all seeing, doing, knowing all that business that, you know, everybody goes to. Now they're trying to get into pharmaceuticals. Amazon is they're tr- They're into grocery stores. They already you already got them uh, selling everything in their mama on uh, Amazon Marketplace. Facebook is doing the same thing. They, they gobbled up. Uh, Instagram, Instagram, yeah. and they've done other companies like that. I, I can't speak specifically to the companies they did that to, but Mark Zuckerberg is just the same asshole as uh, uh, Jeff Bezos. They just multi-billionaires that want everything. So they're swallowing up companies left and right, and they'll be able to control the market. And you can't have one entity in a, a democracy or in a, a capitalist society dominating the market. And that's what they're doing right now. You know, it's interesting. Every time I look at Mark Zuckerberg in a like newspaper, he looks so. Are you both okay? Like you both, Rachel and Vaughn are both on my screen. They're both next to each other. Ra- Vaughn is taking an inhaler, and Rachel is choking on Gatorade. Every time, every time Rachel goes off screen, she comes back with another layer of of makeup. So she, she's. I think she's slowly going off screen and putting on makeup. <laughs> I've been putting it on uh, on screen. I actually haven't once put it on off. I've been sitting here powdering myself. She left and had on mascara, and then she came back. She had on lipstick. <laughs> I actually did it all on camera. I was sitting here powdering. Yeah, myself. I saw her. She powdered herself at one point. I didn't know what, why. I mean, look, look at when me. I went off. When I went off camera, I actually just got different beverages. On camera, I did all my powdering, which is unacceptable in its own right. Still see my uh, my face tags, Rach. By the way, I need I need advice on how uh, a suggestion for a good person who could take away my face tags. I'm ready to get rid of. Oh, them. just go to a dermatologist. Yeah, my dermatologist burned mine off because you get a bunch when you're pregnant. Yeah. Oh, I want to get a good one though, because see, look, I got a whole. He's good. It, it doesn't. I mean, there. It's really a routine thing. It doesn't. I mean, yeah, it's, it's pretty. It's really easy. Yeah, you don't need a specialist to do it. They all do it. It takes a second. Yeah, it takes. Like, Is it really expensive? No, not, it's not that expensive. No, I think it's like a couple hundred bucks, and sometimes insurance covers it yeah my insurance covered mine oh yeah all right they use like hot or ice or whatever and they just quickly goes and it hurts for like a second but they just zap them all and then you have a black dot and it just falls off your face yeah i need that this is out of control so i do want to ask this last article i want to ask you guys about the hollywood insiders defend essential working status amid growing criticisms i knew this was coming by the way I'm always like that. I'm always like, I knew as COVID-19 cases surge in Los Angeles, a public discussion has begun about why the film industry gets special treatment. It reached a boiling point when Governor Gavin Newsom unveiled his latest stay at home order, the state's most stringent restrictions in months. The order shuttered businesses from restaurants to salons, but film and television production were conspicuously missing from that list. That's because film and TV productions is technically considered essential work in California. While many film executives claim that stringent health precautions are taken on sets, public support for the entertainment industry is low. All right, so Vaughn, I'll ask you, what do you think? Do you think this is... uh... I'm indifferent about it. I do feel like priority has to be for 
essential workers that are helping us survive, like our the medical field, our grocery stores, the the, the essential things of life. But I'm also in the entertainment business, right? I do believe laughter is essential. There are a lot. Sorry, of I don't mean to laugh. Rachel's putting on lipstick. Let's give her a moment. <laughs> I can see Marshall. Marshall's going to be like, "What was going on on Rachel's track?" I'm gonna like, she put on lipstick. Like after I do the sessions, I have to give them notes about different technical aspects. So it'll be a long list of Rachel was blushing at this point. <laughs> Rachel was putting on lipstick. Rachel choked on Gatorade. <laughs> I'm so sorry, you guys, but I, when you said that, Pat, it actually reminded me, because I swear to God, I didn't do it off camera. My dumb makeup bag is right there, but I just felt like I looked insane. I fell asleep with my makeup on last night, and I looked blotchy and jacked up, so. Okay, go ahead, Vaughn. I want to make sure her, she is heard. Well, I don't know where I left off, but I, I think I was saying, being indifferent about it and being in the entertainment business myself and feeling like just as a comic, I feel like we're essential workers because it's essential that we make people laugh, right? In in that aspect. But in LA specifically in Hollywood, it's such a huge part of their economy. I, I do get it. Uh, but I also get why people will be like, wait, hold up, why? But I did a um a SAG film. I I had to go to Boston for it. And the SAG regulations for is very uh strict and the set is small and and there's precautions taken left and right. So it is very different than say a bar restaurant being open. So I think moving forward, I don't know how long we're going to be in this situation, but I think looking very closely at individual businesses and sets instead of like a a broad spectrum lockdown would, would be a smarter way to go. And I think they're trying to do that better. So, yeah, that's why I'm indifferent about it. I understand it. And I think that the medical field and, and grocery stores, delivery, all of those people do and should come first. But I, I get the side of us as entertainers as essential as well. I, I just think it's, it's been hard uh, for all industries to cope because we haven't had a national plan. If we had a national plan where everybody said, OK, we're going to lock down for X amount of days, everybody except for, you know, grocery stores and central workers, then people can plan around or industries could plan around that. And because we didn't have a national plan, I think you have this piecemeal way of dealing with certain industries. When Biden comes in, I think there will be a national plan put forward and and we'll have some more justice in the sense of some industries will have to shut down, but it's we'll know you have a better idea how long and you can plan around that. And I feel like uh, people can move forward better and we can move forward as a country better when we have a, a national plan. On top of that, I want to ask you this because I had asked this on an episode. Do you think the Biden presidency will be more transparent with this vaccine that's coming out? Because everyone on the show said no. Transparent how in what way? What do you mean transparent? I guess that's a good answer question that they because I said I think they'll be more transparent as far as letting us know everything about this vaccine but no one on the show when I had them on believed that the Biden presidency would be more transparent um, as far as like we don't we just don't know a lot what do you mean you don't know a lot about the actual vaccine or do you mean know a a lot about how they're going to start yeah distribute about the actual vaccine itself I, I believe they are working on making all of that data and information about the vaccine public, if I'm not mistaken. 
I think the what I guess what I'm saying is the Trump presidency seemed to be lacking transparency overall, like the messaging you were just saying that needs to get out there just hasn't been. And that's why there's so much misunderstanding about who should open, who shouldn't open. I feel like the Biden, like what you were just saying, will be much more transparent about what they're doing and the information will get out there. I think the I think they're going to be transparent in the sense that uh, they know that they have to have a public on board. And so their messaging will be better. Their communication about when we have like, wh- wh- you know, the resources that you need to go to to understand when it comes to your city and how do you need to get it? All those things are are infrastructure. And I feel like they're put implementing those things now. So we will have a better idea about the communication aspect that I feel like that's what's lacking. I don't think anybody, if they told you what was in the vaccine, I don't think half, 90% of people wouldn't know what the fuck they were talking about. So transparency in that way, I don't think it makes a difference. People want to know if it's effective. People want to know if there's side effects from it. Those are the things that I feel like government may have a bad precedent with that. But I feel like he can overcome that through communication. Right. They're already working on getting that public message out. Like, I don't know if you saw that there were a few people that took it in the UK already and they have these allergic reactions and they made that newsworthy like right away. And they started to explain that in comparison to the trials and, and how common that was. And, and people who they, they already outlined certain people that shouldn't take the vaccination like women who are um, pregnant, people with, uh, they're researching particular um, allergies and whatnot. So I think that the early messaging is trying to show, hey, the hands up, we're trying to help here, not hurt. Pete heard that too, because he's going to be like one of the earlier people that'll probably get it because first responders get it earlier. So like, I think it's going to be offered to firefighters and stuff like that. He did say, if you have allergies that he was told by FDNY, if you have certain allergies or strong allergies, they recommend against guess they're to wait it out but if not i don't know i don't have an end to this sentence sorry Marina. No, I, was, I was gonna ask you rachel do you think i mean out and then we'll go out but would you take that vaccine i would slam it in my dumb face <laughs> i'd take it in my cheek and my tooth <laughs> my gums <laughs> i would chug it like i'm chugging gatorade what about you pal would you take it uh after a whole lot of other people took it. Well, we have until we're not going to get it right away. I'm not going to be that white woman, that 90 year old white woman sitting down being, uh, <laughs> and, and which I think is great because she's 90. So she doesn't lose much. I mean, she had a 90 year. <laughs> you had a good run. So she had a good run. She had a good run. So I'll try it. You know, it's like, you know, it's, it's like your, um, your, your bucket list. I'll try this vaccine. Why not? I'll try, uh, <laughs> I'll try, you know, snowboarding. It's like it's on the list of things. Why not? Let's, let's do it. But no, I'm not going to be that 90 year old woman, but I will, I will be in line after millions of people have taken it. Oh, so you need an actual number. Like, cause we probably. Yeah, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I'm, I'm, I'm very, I'm suspicious though. I am not an anti-vaxxer. I want to see a whole bunch of white kids take it. And then, <laughs> then I'll take it out. A whole bunch of white babies take it. But you need black babies to take it to know if genetically. I know, I know that it's good if the white baby. I know that it's <laughs> if the white baby. They give it to the white babies, then it's do no harm, right? Nah, Pat. 
always give us a different one. So that's, I, I feel you on that. They give us the generic one, right? If my mind goes to that level of suspicion, then I'm like, well, they must have given the white babies the good one and they're going to give our black babies the bad one. So, but my thing is, I, I'm wait, I want to wait it out a little bit, see what the long-term effects are, especially with my allergies and my asthma and all, all of that stuff. I have to be careful. But the thing that makes me comfortable is they are giving it to the, the essential workers first. I don't think they're trying to kill off our entire medical field, the firemen, the, the, you know, I don't think they're trying to kill off our essential people and just leave us dum-dums out here that don't know how to do nothing to fend for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> so that gives me a, a level of comfort. But the only thing that holds me back is that there's no way they could fast forward to the future and know the long-term effects. So that's what I'm concerned about. That's right. Well, that's why trials are really important within our own community, which is they got to get the information. It's like the, the fact that the Black community really does believe this vaccine will be at the time it reaches us like some damn Kool-Aid, like it's not going to be the same effectiveness or it's not going to be, it's going to be a, you know, a generic form. But I think that in itself, messaging wise, the doctors, the whoever, they need to get that information out real fast. The black community will not get a generic form. And we've done this trial on this number of black individuals like for me, a specific question I would research if, and I say this all the time on the podcast, you got to do your homework. I know we're lazy Americans, but do your goddamn homework. As a black woman who's had breast cancer, the question I'm going to ask is how many women, black women with breast cancer has taken this vaccine and what was the results? That is a smart question to ask. That is the homework you should do. If there's something going on with you that you just need to know, ask the question. Don't How many gay black women have taken this vaccine? <laughs> <laughs> gay women don't gay women is not a disease. It, I don't know it ain't, but so I need to know that they ain't discriminating. <laughs> if I take that vaccine and I start liking dick, I'm gonna be mad as fuck. Uh, there you go. There's a bit. There's a funny bit right there, Pat. That, you better do that on TikTok. That is hilarious. Changing my life. <laughs> I got to change my profile on. Uh... That's funny as shit. I can't live like this anymore, you guys. If you don't do that on TikTok. I'm gonna come over there and hurt you. That is so funny. I need to, I need your help, you and your nieces. I can't live like this anymore. I like if my cheek itches, I think it's COVID. I'm like, I can't. Just that when I spit the Gatorade, I got terrified. I'm like, I can't, I can't live like this. It's, and then you gave it to me, Rachel. Now I got it. <laughs> so you're killing me. But Marina, it was really good when you were sick of taking charge of your own care and like asking the right questions. And I will say this. I thought you were saying it was really good that I was sick. I was like, what? God, you did know about COVID before anybody else. Remember when you know, like a few guys on the Golden State Warriors got it and Tom Hanks got it. Everybody was like, well, then we're next. For some reason, that made it real, which is bizarre enough. <laughs> like, oh, Tom Hanks got it. Now it must be next since we have so much in common. But I remember before that weekend, Marina was like, there's something going around. And you knew. You knew it early. I knew from just doing the podcast, actually. And also, I was very sick in November right after my radiation treatment for about a good two months. I had this cough that would not go away. Ron, you remember, you came in and you were cough. So, and then I had certain people on the show that had the same cough that I had. And I said, 
And the listeners should know, they remember me going, hey, you got that same cough that I had. That's interesting. I go, that's a very, remember that Vaughn when Nina was coughing on the show? And I go, there's something in the plains. I would hear people with that same cough. I said, this is weird. Something is going on. And then when they're finding out now, it's been in the country since really October of, of 2018. Uh, they did the data. They did the research on people who donated blood. And they found that there were COVID antibodies in people's blood that they donated prior to December, which is when December is when they said it first at the United States. But blood donations say otherwise. Yes, I believe it because I was I was raw as I was like coming out with a low immune system. And then I had this cough. I know my neighbors could hear me cough and they were like, what the hell is wrong with her? No antibodies in my my blood or anything. So it took a while for it to, I guess, get out of my system. But I do want, I don't want to end on such a- But do a, you still have your onion hanging up? You know what, Pat? <laughs> I, do you still have her, her, she had a raw onion holding up, I did. hanging up in her house to, for, to prevent COVID. <laughs> what? I to prevent COVID because she read somewhere the- that's how it, what prevented the plague. No, my mom. My mom <laughs> was walking around with an onion around her neck. And so she was like, you need to have an onion by your door. So because my neighbor, he's always talking without his mask on. So I put an onion right by that. You know, that onion, because there's a story about a plague happened and everyone died but one family. And why? Because they had a red onion. <laughs> Marina's family. Crest is an onion, a red onion. Uh, look, I that onion, that onion. You, if you could see that onion, you know, I need to put another onion there. You just reminded me, Pat. I got to put that red <laughs> onion down there. You know, they say like that's why if you see a, uh, if you keep red onions out or onions of any type out in your house too long, don't eat it because it'll, it'll make you sick because it's absorbing all of the toxin in the air. I'm so proud. Of, I'm so proud that I know that. I'm so proud that I know that. Anyway, guys, this was fun. You guys, this was a really great show. We got to get out. Pat, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, your listeners can find me on TikTok. I got I got one follower, which will be Marina when after she gets off this phone, off the, this line, she will follow me. That will be my one follower. But I'm trying to learn TikTok. Uh, I'm trying to get off Instagram and uh, get on um, TikTok and possibly uh, YouTube. You follow me at uh, Instagram. Comedian Pat Brown. <laughs> no, Pat Brown Show at Instagram. With friends like us, uh, you need, you'll get the information that you so desperately need uh, to buy onions. <laughs> Are you? Yeah, God. Vaughn? Um, my social media is at Bondi Carlo across all platforms, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, etc. You can go to funnyvonvon.com to links to everything. And my first comedy album is a comedy mixtape. I'm really excited about it. It's out and yeah. Thank you. Yay! And I, I hope you guys support it. Funnyvon.com and with friends like us, who needs Gatorade? <laughs> <laughs> who needs Gatorade? Yes, Rachel. With friends like us, who needs onions? Everyone needs onions. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be myself. Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> where, can, where can our listeners find you? At Rachel Feinstein on Twitter. Rachel Feinstein underscore on Instagram. And Rachel Feinstein is my website. 
Nice. And Marina Franklin here. Oh, was that your friends like us? Or you want to do? Was that it? Yeah, I feel like it was pretty solid. Do you think there's some issues? <laughs> I kind of think there were some issues to it. I mean, do you want to do a redo? She believed in it. Now, speaking of shame, now, now I have shame with that. I thought I grabbed a fun-loving take. It was a callback to the onion moment. You're like, you're sure? Yeah. <laughs> Rachel was like, you want to do anything with Hanukkah? Or no, you just want to leave it there? I said happy Hanukkah. By the way, I know you only put the Hanukkah thing on because I'm a Jew. It would not have been on there. No, I didn't put the article. I t- I've been yelling at my assistants and my intern about the fact that they need to do their research on my guests. And I guess that was the research they did. And they placed the art they placed the article in. I knew you would be laughing at that. But still, that was them considering They researched, they just saw my last name and just they just see a giant J when they look at me. Not even a religious Jew. That's amazing. Marina's seventeen point five percent uh Jew a uh, Jewish. So they would have did it anyway. Eleven eleven I think it's eleven. <laughs> I have so many Jewish relatives now on twenty three and me. I'm like I, it's hard to find a black relative on there. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Oh, here we go. Marina Franklin here. Just go to my website, marinafranklin.com. Get your, now you can get merch. Uh, Pat has a t-shirt. If you've been on the show, just send me your address like Rachel and Vaughn and I will send you. I think Rachel, you already have a t-shirt I think, yes. and face mask. Yes, I do. You have anything. I will bring you one when we go for a walk the next time. And I hopefully I won't, I will, I will have a, a clearing bladder and I can make it. <laughs> Next time I'm telling that story. I know. But get your t-shirts, get your face masks, get your coffee cup. We now have the Friends Like Us coffee cup. We will also have hoodies soon in different colors. So please follow us, follow me. You can find all the merch information on marinafranklin.com. And with Friends Like Us... You don't have to make a resolution for the new year because your resolution is right here with us. Are you good with that one? Is that one you want to, that's one you're going to keep? You know what, Pat? No one has hated on my friends like us in a long time. You know what? You know what Marshall said the last time? Marshall's listening. He listens to everything we say. Marshall said, I love Pat. She really gets you going, Marina. He goes, and I love her for it. <laughs> I was like, why? She says it so why? gently. So are you sure? Are you sure you're not actively humiliated by your choice? Check, Check us out. out. Oh, thank you guys so much. Oh, guys. All right. Good show, girls. Oh, really? Seriously. Thank you guys so much. Thank you.